So, uh, as Raj said, many hours have gone into this, many sleepless nights as well, uh, believe me. But no, hopefully this morning we'll be able to unpack what is one of the most difficult of the Ten Commandments. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've absolutely loved this series so far, going through Ten Commandments, you know, looking at our foundations, getting back to basics, it's been so good, it's great. And when people think about the Ten Commandments, they tend to think about them as if they're like barriers to stop us from having fun. But actually, that's the opposite of what they are, aren't they? What they actually are is that they are God's ten promises to us that give us freedom and their boundaries to give us a life of freedom, aren't they? That's what Ten Commandments are. So if you've come here today thinking that the Ten Commandments are barriers to stop us from having fun, then try and change that thinking around to think about how they're actually here to give us freedom with God. Okay. So today's commandment is definitely, as Raj said, one of the most difficult, controversial, and hardest to talk about of the Ten Commandments. Uh, don't give me any easy ones, I tell you. <laughs> um, there's painful, um, emotive, difficult subjects in this talk. And right at the start, as Raj said this morning, I just want to say to you that um, the grace of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the power of Jesus to turn things around and get us back on track is immense, all right? Let me say that again. The grace of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the power of Jesus to turn things around and get us back on track. That is immense, all right? Before we start, I want you to hear that. Okay. Um, if you want to start turning to Matthew 5, 21, that'd be great. And today's commandment is entitled, Do Not Murder. Now, some of you might be sat there thinking, well, I've not murdered anyone, and that's great. If you've not murdered anyone, that's great. <laughs> but stay with me, please. Don't switch off, because um, there's something we can all learn from this. And when we look at what Jesus says, we'll realize, actually, this is something that's close to all of us, actually. And it's something that we can all learn from, and something that is relevant to all of us. All right, so Matthew 5, 21, this is what Jesus says about murder. It's got to be on the screen, yep. So you've heard it said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Wow, that's deep. <laughs> so here referring to Exodus 20 and God's sixth commandment, do not murder, Jesus highlights the murderous effects of anger. And as ever, he raises a bar on how God wants us to be. He raises a bar on how God wants to grow us and change us, and he makes this thing relevant to us. So if you haven't physically hand-murdered someone, well done. <laughs> but Jesus calls us to a higher obedience, doesn't he? He wants to rid us of heart murder, things such as anger, rage, jealousy, unforgiveness, tantrums, if you may, violence. He wants to rid you of all of these things. And that's where we're going this morning. Okay. Now, I always forget water. Can someone get me some water, please? Thank you. Sorry. Okay. So we're going to have three points this morning. We're going to have point one, what is murder? Point two, hand murder. And point three, heart murder. Okay. So I'm just going to get me water before I carry on. Thanks, Matthew. Okay, point one, what is murder? Well, the dictionary defines murder as this. It is um, the unlawful, premeditated killing of one human being by another. Pretty simple to understand, isn't it? That is murder. But why is God so against murder? 
But as people, I think, naturally, we tend to look inwards a lot, don't we? We tend to make the world all about us, don't we? It's this kind of me, me, me culture, isn't it? You know, what can I do? How can I grow? How can I become good at something? But actually, that's not how it works with God. God wants the exact opposite. He wants, to look, he wants us to look back to him, doesn't he? He wants us to stop looking inwards and start looking upwards. Yeah. And that's what, that's what Ten Commandments are about. You know, the first four commandments, as Simon said last week, you know, they all point us back to putting God first in our lives. And um, if we think about this commandment, do not murder, and we look back to God, you know, what do we realise? We realise, actually, that um, God said right at the start in Genesis, he said, mankind was created in, in God's image. The image of God, he created them, male and female. So looking back to God, we remember that, that human, that people are made in the image of God. Yeah? So to murder something that's made in the image of God, well, that's wrong, isn't it? That's why God is so against murder, because to murder someone made in the image of the almighty, powerful God, that's wrong. Humans bear the image and likeness of God. We're like a snapshot of God. You know, we can see God's fingerprints all over our lives. And, you know, we've got a divine nature all over, over all of us, don't we? And therefore, to kill one another... To harm one another is wrong. It's unlawful before God. When we remember how important we are before God and put God first, we realise how wrong murder is. And you know what? Regardless of what David Attenborough says, we're not animals, all right? We're different. We're different to animals. We've actually... uh, The difference is that we're significant, we're precious, so we can't be murdered. We're not just like any other living being, are we? We're made in the image of the almighty God. And when we remember that, we realise actually that murder is wrong. To murder something made in the image of God is wrong. And now death is a massive subject, isn't it? So death is something we see every day. We see it on the news, we see it in films, on computer games, on telly. We see murder all over. And we see death all over. And that's quite a scary thing, to be honest, because it's almost as if, as a society, we've made life slightly less valuable, haven't we? It's almost as if we've made life a little bit less valuable because we're so used to seeing death. Um, when I was studying for this, uh, I come across a quote from J. John, who's a Christian author, and he said this. He said, um, we live in a disposable society. We have disposable razors, disposable contact lenses, disposable pens, and disposable nappies. We need to protest loudly that the one thing that's not disposable is human life. Yeah. So to recap point one, I think we've learned that murder is the unlawful killing of another person, haven't we? And we've learned or re-remembered that we're made in the image and likeness of God. Very important. And we've learned, actually, that life is very, very, very important to God. So murder is wrong because life is important to God and we're made in the image and likeness of God. So, on to a difficult point, point two, hand murder. Hand murder is the physical, actual, premeditated killing of another human, all right? And this is a bigger issue than sometimes we realise. This is a bigger issue than I realised when I first found out I was doing this talk. This is massive. And um, hand murder disguises itself in loads and loads of different ways. It's broader than we think, honestly. And today I'm just going to look at three of those subjects, all right? Three difficult, three painful subjects. I'm going to be looking at war, capital punishment or a death sentence, and abortion, all right? Heavy stuff. So let's start with war, all right? War is a huge issue in the Christian church, isn't it? Should Christians go to war? 
Should the church sanction military force? Does killing during war class as biblical murder? Massive, isn't it? <laughs> it's mad. Now, most Christians, all right, they'll take one of two standpoints on the issue of war. They'll either go down Route 1 and call themselves pacifists, where they're completely against war and violence, anything like that. Or they'll go down the other route and they'll support what's called just war. Now, to start with pacifists, all right, there's New, there's new Testament uh, biblical passages to support both viewpoints as well. That's why it's such a difficult issue. That's why it's so controversial. Because there's actually passages which support the pacifist view and also support the just war view. So let's start with the pacifist view. People who um, don't support war will point to the story of Jesus and his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you know that story when the guards come to arrest Jesus and Peter pulls out his swords, he's ready to start fighting people. And, uh, and Jesus says, he says this, he says, put your sword back in its place because all who draw the sword will die by the sword. So some Christians will point to those words and say, actually, Jesus is forbidding uh, military, military focus in that. He's saying he's f- uh, forbidding people going to war because of that. They'll also speak about Jesus and talking about us turning the other cheek and talk about Jesus talking about forgiveness and arguing that Christians shouldn't go to war. These Christians, these pacifists, will seek to bring justice through creative, non-violent alternatives to war. Working for reconciliation. That's a pretty good standpoint, isn't it? A great example of this is a a guy called Shane Claiborne. Now, he wrote a book uh, book called The Irresistible Revolution, all right? And it's in our church library. You should check it out. It's a really good book. Um, I don't read a lot of books, so for me to say it's a good book, it must be good, all right? And what Shane Claiborne does is... Um, during the Iraq war a couple of years ago, he went out to Iraq and worked with some of the local people. He went to some of the local villages being affected by the war, and he started to speak to the locals and started to speak to them about how there's a, a different way of life and how all Americans aren't bad and all Christians aren't the same. And he starts to tell them about Jesus and tell them actually there's alternatives to war. It's amazing. Um, another great pacifist, um, next Saturday will mark the 47th anniversary of the death of Martin Luther King. Um, we've pretty much all heard of him, haven't we? Um, he gave his life for a Jesus-centered, biblical, non-violent combat against a racial oppression in America. Great examples of people who go against war. So that's pacifists, but on the other end of the scale, we've got Christians who support just war. Not every war, but war which they would say was a lesser of two evils. Uh, and for a common good. They wouldn't just say, you know, go to war. They would say, you know, support wars where good can come out of it. They would say that as Christians, we should go to war, but cautiously, regrettably, and subject to careful moral scrutiny. After praying about it, thinking about it, they wouldn't just jump into war. They would say, you know, we need to think prayerfully and, and, and talk to God about this. But these people would use scriptures from the book of Romans to support that. In Romans 14, it says, rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants agents of wrath to bring punishment on wrongdoers. So when looking at that, we need to consider a few things. It's important that we respect authority, isn't it? And actually, God gives governments authority. That's a fact. God gives governments authority. Not the same all-powerful authority that God's got. Not the same um, uh, authority that we should put them above God, but actually God does put governments in place. That's important to remember with the election coming up and everything, it's important to remember that God actually does put us under authority of governments, yeah? It says it again in Romans, it says, let every person be subject to government authorities. That's really important. 
Remember this. So yes, God's the ultimate authority, but actually he puts us under government, so we need to respect that. Even Jesus talks about it, doesn't he? He says, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Yeah. So we should be respecting governments. And I think, actually, um, if the government decides to go to war, you know, Christians who support just wars would say, all right, we've got to support that because actually God put us under government authority. But we, they would only support war, which, uh, which could be used as an agent of God's justice and reconciliation. Yeah, not an unjust war, not a war which is there to uh, hurt people or, or go against God, but actually a war which is there to build people up and actually restore people and restore communities. But I think definitely whichever standpoint you take as Christians, when it comes to war, we've got to pursue love, peace and righteousness across all barriers of race, language and culture. It's a complicated issue and one which we definitely have to approach prayerfully and biblically. So that's war. Where do you stand? Okay. I'm going to move on to uh, one which isn't as big a subject in Great Britain, but across the world it's massive, and that is the death penalty or capital punishment. And when looking at this one, all right, I'm going to use some big words now. I don't often use big words, but when looking at this issue of capital punishment, we have to distinguish between Bible content, all right? We have to distinguish between um, descriptive Bible content, all right? And what descriptive Bible content is, that's a description of things that happened in biblical times, not necessarily something that we follow today. And we have to distinguish between that and prescriptive Bible content, which is a command for Christians of all ages and all times and all places, okay? Descriptive, prescriptive, all right? Remember that. Those are the biggest words you'll ever hear me use, okay? (laughs) Okay, so capital punishment was used a lot in the Old Testament, yes, for serious crimes, and in fact, it pointed towards how perfect and valuable human life is. What a lot of people don't think, though, is that in the Old Testament, a lot of people were spared. The requirements needed to be punished by death were huge. Higher than today's standards, definitely. Higher than the standards it takes to be killed in, you know, America on death row or whatever. All right. Um, In Genesis 9-6, it says that whoever sheds man's blood, his blood will be shed by man, for God made man in his image. So murder had to be answered in the Old Testament by the blood of a murderer. Now as Christians, I think we're well aware of the power of blood as an atoning factor, aren't we? As soon as I read that passage in Genesis, it pointed me right back to Jesus. Yeah? Because Jesus spilled his blood at the cross. Why did he do that? To save us from the spiritual death penalty that we all faced. Remember that. However, when we look at uh, capital punishment in a modern context, it's important important that we remember the Israelite society from the Old Testament had its laws given by God, didn't they? Directly by God. But as I've just said, our society today has our laws put in place by often imperfect governments. Governments put in place by God, yes, but governments run by people who are imperfect, yeah? And if we look at Jesus, because we should always be looking back to Jesus, if we look at Jesus and his Gospels, a lot of what Jesus talked about was about grace. It was amazing when someone this morning brought a passage about the woman uh, who was going to get killed, because that's in my talk right now, so well done. Um, when there was a, the woman at the well who was going to be killed, she was going to be put to death by stoning, what did Jesus say? Jesus intervened, didn't he? He said, uh, let he who was without sin cast the first stone. So yes, 
definitely, as Paul said, um, governments do have, I guess, authority to put people to death, yes, but actually Jesus leant towards grace, didn't he? Jesus, Jesus leant towards grace and unforgiveness and mercy, suggesting that actually putting that, those things before the sword are the way forwards. It's important when we look at capital punishment to remember what Jesus said, to remember Jesus' point of view, to remember Jesus' standpoint, yeah? Now, this would be a lot easier if God had said one way or the other. Capital punishment is wrong, capital punishment is right, but he doesn't, does he? So because of that, we've got to continue to think prayerfully about these issues and wrestle, wrestle with the scripture. What I will say is this, so as Christians, we must let Christ-like values, such as grace, love, and forgiveness, shape our thinking and motivate us, not the want for vengeance or hatreds. Yeah, when it comes to death penalty, it's about grace and love and forgiveness, not about vengeance or hate. I think after studying this a lot, I've realised that I'm definitely not for the death penalty in the UK. Now, you might be, but I'm definitely not, and I think that we should look back to Jesus. Okay, the third and most controversial, I think, of the issues I'm going to talk about today is abortion, all right, killing at the start of life. And I want to give you some biblical, uh, not biblical, sorry, some facts uh, to put this into uh, context. I'm going to give you some facts about abortion just to put it into context, all right? So, abortion, they're going to come up on the screen, yes. Abortion was legalised in um, England, Wales and Scotland in 1967. However, in Northern Ireland, it was, ma- it was only made legal in order to save a mother's life. In total, there have been over 8 million abortions in Great Britain since this law was passed in 1967. In 2013, Great Britain... Uh, there was 199,314 abortions for social reasons. That's 98.4% of all legal abortions for social reasons. A further 3,063 were performed because a child was likely to be born handicapped. And finally, only 193 abortions in 2013 were carried out because of a risk to the mother's life. That is just 0.1% of all legal abortions. Now, as we look at this issue as Christians, it's important just right at the start just to say that throughout history, the church has always, always, always been against abortion. That's one thing probably that they've all agreed on. Churches throughout the ages have always agreed that abortion is wrong. And it's biblical to say that, isn't it? Um, They always quote the sixth commandment, do not murder. But another passage, you know, in um, Psalm 139, it says... You made all the delicate parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. God knew us from the moment of conception. If you look in the Gospel of Luke as well, uh, John the Baptist, uh, he actually was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was in his mother's womb. That's crazy. When I first read that, I was like, wow. Like, the baby actually leapt in his mother's womb because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's arguments for and against abortion, yes, but one thing to remember is God is definitely for human life. Definitely for human life, yeah. Now, of course, there are hard cases. What if the mother's a victim of rape? What if the baby's to be born seriously handicapped? What if the mother's life is at risk? These are all heart-wrenching, difficult situations that are all, you know, that come about because of a sin, torn, fallen world that we live in, yeah. But remember, these make up a tiny minority of all abortions in the UK. 
Once again, I just want to point out that humans are made in the image and likeness of God. We're precious, we're valuable, and we're loved. Yeah. Now, to end this topic and to end point two about hand murder, I just want to um, tell you about what Martin Charlesworth says. Now, Martin Charlesworth is a, a teacher within Christ Central, our family of churches. And when it comes to making these difficult decisions, uh, these big issues, he gives us a, a little three-point guide on how to do it. And uh, he, he urges to remember that, A, God is sovereign, all right? To remember that God is in control and we don't have to wrestle with these things on our own. He urges to remember point B, the foolishness of man. Do you know what? All these things come about because the world is a mess and man is sinful, yeah? And point C, to remember the grace of God's. God's gracious. He's full of grace and compassion, yeah? God's a God who forgives us, and that's, that's how we go through these issues. These big issues we don't have all the answers for. If we pray through them using that framework, the God is sovereign, the foolishness of man and the grace of God, it helps us actually come to some conclusions. And I know some of these things are controversial. Some of them may be upsetting to you directly, but as Raj said at the start of this series, yeah, this is going to be a difficult series. It's going to be challenging. And what I want to say is that we should let God's cross, God's love and restoration bring healing to us, yeah? And if you want to talk any of these issues further, at the end, um, Raj is going to be stood just over there, so uh, go and talk to him. Okay. So we've looked at point one, what is murder? Why is murder wrong? We're made in the image of God's. We've looked at some of these hand murder issues, the physical murder issues, the difficult issues. We're going to come across to point three, which is heart murder, and that's something which is definitely appropriate for all of us. Now I feel, um, looking at what Jesus talked about in the passage earlier, that anger and unforgiveness is as bad for our hearts as murder. That's scary, isn't it? That is scary to think that having anger and unforgiveness in your heart is as bad as murdering someone. What a challenge that Jesus puts on us. And I feel pretty well qualified to talk about anger. All right? I get angry all the time. You should see me play football one time if you want to see anger. Um, I throw tantrums like a child sometimes. Um, but not only that, actually, um, through my own personal experience, my own life story, if you haven't heard my testimony before, um, when I was five, um, my dad walked out on on our family, and I hated him for such a long time. I like, absolutely despised him. I hated him. I had so much hatred towards him. And also, when we were kids, my mum had a, a boyfriend, a stepdad, who, who used to abuse us and abuse me and my brother, and I hated him as well. And when I first became a Christian, I had so much hatred and anger in my heart that it made it so difficult for me to accept God and to become intimate with God and to allow God in. Right at the start of my Christian journey, I had to forgive these guys. And that was a difficult thing to do, but I knew straight away that's what I had to do. So yes, I know about anger and unforgiveness. It's a dangerous thing. Anger's explosive. It's like dynamite for your soul. And unresolved anger can lead to all kinds of issues. It's a big deal. And looking at anger, as I've been studying it, I've realised that there's probably one of two categories you fit in when it comes to anger. Or you fit in both, but you still fit in one or the other. Um, The first category is you're either an exploder you're a bottler, or you fit into both. Can you all see that? You're either an exploder or a bottler. I don't know which one I am. I think I'm both of them all of the time. <laughs> so let's look at an exploder to start with. Um, some people deal with the anger or show the anger by literally exploding. If something goes wrong, someone upsets them, they'll fly off the hang- handle and just go mad. The Bible talks about this in Proverbs 14. 
It says, a patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but passion is rottenness to the bones. Being hot-tempered can lead to massive destruction. When anger explodes with such velocity, you don't have time to think about the consequences, do you? You react first, you get mad first, and afterwards think, oh, what have I done? You have to deal with the consequences. You end up regretting it 99% of the time. I know that from first-hand experience. <laughs> so that's an exploder. You're either that or you're a bottler. Now, a bottler, as, an, as the name suggests, they bottle up their anger, don't they? If someone upsets them, they bottle it up and, and they get angry and angry with that person. We see it all the time. Someone will upset us or offend us and you'll end up with a little silent vendetta against that person in your head, won't you? Where everything they say makes you angrier and angrier and angrier. I think we've all been there, haven't we? You get angry and angry and angry with that person until eventually you A, explode and end up getting mad at them anyway, or you B, end up cutting them out of your life completely. And that's worse, isn't it? How often have you got angry with someone, balled it up for so long that you've ended up cutting that person out of your life? That's dangerous. Now, before we look at solutions to anger, all right, because we, we, we need to have solutions to anger because we can't let anger, you know, be in our hearts and unforgiveness be in our hearts. Before we look at solutions to anger, I want to point us towards what the Bible uh, calls righteous anger, all right? Because it's not always wrong to be angry, is it? The Bible talks about righteous anger as anything which goes against God's will. And the Bible actually says it's okay to get righteously angry sometimes. Yeah? Some of the things we should be getting righteously angry about, things such as injustice or poverty or hatred towards people, these are the things we should be focusing our anger on, yeah? We should be getting angry about the evil in the world, about the things that go against God's will. And that's sometimes really easy to do, isn't it? So, like, if a bomb goes off somewhere or a plane crashes, it's really easy to get really angry and say, oh, I'm angry at that. But actually, how do we get righteously angry about the things closer to home? The things that affect our lives. So, if you're in my community group, you've heard me go on about this before. But one thing that made me really righteously angry recently was the fact that they're filming the new series of Benefit Street here in Teesside. All right? And that's not funny. That's bad. Like, if you've not watched Benefit Street, don't watch it, all right? It's ridiculous, and it laughs at people who are on benefits and people who are poor, all right? That shouldn't be happening in Teesside, should it? They're taking the place that God loves, they're taking the people that God's got a heart for, and they're making a mockery of them, and that should make us angry. That makes me angry. What's our response to that? How do we respond to that? Well, we start to love Teesside, don't we? We start to show the people at Teesside that actually we're not all laughing at them. We're not all here to judge them, but actually that they've got a God who cares for them, a God who can restore them, and actually we can show love to these people, yeah? What other things can we get righteously angry about? Well, things such as sickness, things such as our families not knowing God, our friends, our colleagues not knowing God. These are things we should be getting righteously angry about. Like, imagine if during a a prayer meeting or a Sunday morning we got truly righteously angry about sickness like and started praying into those things and saying God's got authority over these things how would it change our prayer meetings I think it would change them massively wouldn't it imagine if we got righteously angry for the people at Teesside not knowing God how would it change our prayer meetings I think they would be alive and explosive wouldn't they because righteous anger is actually a good thing righteous anger is us going against the things that break God's heart. And as that song says um, this morning, you might want to ask God to break your heart for what breaks his, yeah? That's righteous anger. 
But back to dealing with anger, I think often we need to take a step back, don't we, and make uh, godly decisions about how to act, yeah? When you start getting angry, it's important to take a step back and try and resolve this with God, but how do you do that? Well, one way to do that is to pray, isn't it, obviously? That's, that's the obvious answer, yeah? To be in a constant praying dialogue with God, and that's something about uh, being praying people, isn't it? As people, we need to be people who are praying a lot in our day-to-day lives. Every day we need to be praying. Do you do that? Do you pray every day? Are you praying all the time? Off the back of prayer week, I just want to say it's important that we become a praying church where prayer is part of our day-to-day routine. Not a routine, something that's religious and boring, but a routine is something that excites us, that we want to be in dialogue with God, yeah? We want to be in dialogue with the king of the universe, all right? We need to become a praying people. When you become a praying people, dealing with anger becomes a lot easier. When you're living a lifestyle of prayer, getting angry becomes less of an issue, and dealing with your anger becomes an easier thing, yeah? And when it comes to people who bottle up their anger, it's important that we learn how to give that anger to God. To give your anger and your built-up hatred to God, that's a difficult thing to do. What you're truly saying is, God, I can't handle this on my own. It takes an incredible amount of faith. What you're saying is, God, I can't handle this on my own. I'm just a human, you know. I can't handle this anger and this sin, but you're God. You can. Yeah. What you do is you say, God, I can't handle this on my own. On my own, actually, I'm angry with this person. I hate this person, but God, you can take this anger off me. That's how we deal with anger. It's a difficult thing to do, to say, God, take this frustration away from me. This want for revenge, I want to put it in your hands, God. That's a difficult thing to do. But the concept of giving your anger to God is a very important thing. That's how you deal with your anger, to give it to God. Also, study the scripture, yeah? Study the Bible. If you realise how much God hates unresolved anger by reading the Bible, you realise how much you should be getting rid of that anger. When you realise how much of a big deal anger is to God, getting rid of that anger becomes more of an issue for you because you realise how much God hates it. And finally, if you can't find a good godly reason in scripture to hold on to your anger and it ain't righteous, and you shouldn't be holding on to it, yeah? If you can't find a good, godly reason to be angry with this person or this situation, then you shouldn't be angry with them. You should be giving that to God, letting God deal with it. God's bigger than us, isn't he? God can deal with it. And most importantly, remember that Jesus died for us so that we're no longer defined by our human emotions, such as anger or unforgiveness, yeah? Or jealousy. But actually, Jesus gives us a new life of freedom. We're no longer defined by our Christian characteristics, but we're defined by new godly characteristics, fruits of the Spirit, self-control. How much will that help when it comes to anger? Can you see how useful the fruits of the Spirit become? As Raj said the other day, we have God, the Holy Spirit, the holiness expert living in us. Yeah? Let him in daily, let him change you. Let him get rid of the anger and the hatreds. Let him underline painful truths to you and let him move you on. Um, if we get the band up, please, before I finish. Um, I want to encourage anyone today uh, who might be holding on to anger, all right, or unforgiveness. If that's you today, I want to encourage you to give it to God. I really want to encourage you to give it to God, just as I did. Do you know what? I know people hurt us. I know people make us angry, people actually, you know, make us really hurt. But remember, Jesus paid it all for us so we don't have to deal with this on our own anymore. 
So if you've come today with anger or hurt, I want to encourage you to give that to God. I want you to hear this. You don't have to have those emotions anymore. You don't have to hold on to that anger anymore. You can give it to God. I want to encourage you this morning to just give that to God. Yeah? For some of you, that might be just you know, between you and God. For others, that might actually result in physically going and talking to someone and dealing with that anger and dealing with that unforgiveness of that person directly. But just know that you don't have to handle it on your own. So, as the band play um, the last song, I just want you to just give it to God. Just, just want to encourage you to just let God in. Know that you don't have to leave today holding on to those emotions, holding on to that anger or that hatred. Honestly, I know firsthand just how bad it is to have unforgiveness on your heart. Let me tell you that when you let God in and, and forgive others and, and get rid of that anger, your life will change completely and you'll just have so much more space to let God in. So I want to encourage you to just give that to God. Also, while the band's playing, why don't you ask God to just put stuff on your heart, to break your heart for what breaks his. You know, his righteous anger we were talking about. Ask God to put some of that on your heart as well. But yeah, don't go away today with anger and unforgiveness. All right.